the Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 28th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but they doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. First words. Last words, beginnings, endings. This is the stuff of Scripture we've heard this morning, this Trinity Sunday. The marvelous creation poem entitled, In the Beginning. It stands in our liturgy today like a bookend with Jesus' final promise to the awestruck disciples sandwiched between poem and promise is the benediction that closes Paul's long correspondence with a church in the city of Corinth, a benediction we now use to begin our Sunday liturgy. The first words, last words, surround us this morning. We who come with that bewildering hodgepodge of endings and beginnings we call life. A word about the poem, or a couple of words. It is, I think, of considerable importance that when our ancestors in the faith gathered together the writings that they needed to tell the story of God, they placed at the very head of all these writings, a poem. A poem about creation and creation's God, rather than one of their stirring accounts about the birth of Israel. And they had great stories about the birth of Israel, right? But they begin with Genesis, not Exodus. Before Israel ever thought about leaving Egypt, and long before Christians ever puzzled over the news of Jesus' death and resurrection, God was creatively, universally at work. All our stories about God the Redeemer presume this poem praising God the Creator. The, 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 the canonical priority of the poem hints, I think, that God's redeeming work does not center on 
Israel or on the church, not foolish though it may appear, God harbors universal hopes. God entertains universal intentions. Israel's place, the church's place, your place within the purposes of God can only be discerned within the creation-wide perspective of this poem. I think this is a warning to us about any parochial notions of the Trinity. Trinity isn't the story of the Christian God told to compete with other stories about God. No, the Trinity is the church's long attempt to tell the story of God by means of the story of Jesus. It is the church's long attempt to tell the story of Jesus' cross and empty tomb as the story of God's own heart. The church tells the story of Jesus in such a way that we make the claim that whatever can be known about God is known through the cross of Jesus. But I think we tell the story best when we remember the poem that stands at the head of all our stories. Our Trinitarian song to God is a riff on the poem titled, In the Beginning. And there are other riffs, beautiful in their own ways, other riffs. And scripture suggests that Christians simply have to learn how to cope with that. We must learn to cope with the universal scope of God's purposes to discern our place within them. And only so will we discover how beautiful a Trinitarian song of praise can be. You know, first words are as important as last words. I told Bible study, anybody ever tell you what your first words were? I mean, parents love to do that, right? What were your first words, Burl? No idea. You know, I know what my first words were because my, I told Bible study this, don't give it away. My first words were, hot dog. <laughs> and in Atlas Obscura this week, I just saw that hot dogs are the national snack of Norway. And I thought, wow, that explains it. Because this poem stands at the beginning of our sacred writings, the first words God ever speaks to people are these. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion, have dominion over everything. Hmm. Psalm 8, you have made us just a little less than divine. seems to put us squarely at the center of everything, doesn't it? In fact, it seems to create a kind of human exceptionalism within the story of creation that feeds forms of dominion 
over other critters, over the land itself, that we know is working to our own destruction. Uh, one morning last week, got up really, really early. I was awakened by birdsong. I look out the window, and there in this tree in our neighbor's backyard was a cardinal. This cardinal, brilliant, brilliant red, sitting in this sea of green, proudest bird I think I have ever seen, erect, looking at the rising sun, singing that beautiful song. Now, I don't know if birds tell creation stories, but I kind of think they do. And I'm pretty sure that in their creation stories, birds are smack dab at the center of a world shaped by divine avian interactions. Hmm? And I wonder if that cardinal wasn't singing an avian creation poem, poem as morning doxology to God. Despite the perils of dominion language, I think there's something good that we can take away by seeing ourselves so deeply embedded in God's purpose. The dominion we are instructed to exercise has nothing to do with exploitation and abuse of the earth or other critters. Rather, the poem reminds us that God calls us to work with God in securing the well-being of every other creature to help God bring the promise of cardinals and chipmunks and wood frogs and right whales and dandelions to full fruition. In other words, our first responsibility, our first responsibility embedded in our DNA is to care for God's creation to care for it. God's first word to us was not convert people to Christianity, teach them Lutheran hymns because they are absolutely the best. No, the first word God ever speaks to us is take care of cardinals and wood frogs and chipmunks and dandelions. Don't squelch their songs of praise because they're a part of the whole symphony. We have to learn, we Christians, we have to learn to hear Jesus' mandate and promise from the perspective of that first word. Jesus says to us, make disciples. Make disciples. It's so different than, than going out and making consumers, rapacious consumers who gobble up everything and live their lives to do that. It's so different than being consumers of religious experience, so different than making scholars, even religious scholars, as his final word to us, as the sum and substance of his ministry, Jesus says, make disciples. Be a community that shapes people who will follow the Torah, the entire Torah of God, the Torah that begins with a mandate to care for bunnies and chipmunks. Make disciples who are dedicated to caring for God's creation 
in concert with all other human beings. That is the beginning of what it means to teach people to obey everything Jesus has commanded. And I think it's the most important challenge we as a species living within God's creation face today. Paul's closing words sum up the whole deal. They are the closing words of, of, of his correspondence with the church in Corinth, but they are a summary of the entire story of Scripture from beginning to end. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and participation in the Holy Spirit be with you all. The whole story is there. The God who spoke the word. The God who spoke the word that sparked the Big Bang 14 billion years ago loves you, loves your neighbor. So that death and sin might not separate us from that love, the word became flesh, the word which sparked the Big Bang, full of grace and truth, and spoke among us, teaching us the way of the cross as the way of life. And so that we might actually experience that divine grace and love, the Holy Spirit brings us into a relationship with God, a relationship of participation in God's purpose and fellowship with one another. <clears throat> I encourage all of you, when you get home, go to Amazon or whatever you use, go to the bookstore and order volume 24, of Luther's works, okay? Order volume 24 of Luther's works. And in that, when you order it, bring it to me and I'll show you the page where it breaks open Luther's reflection on the word that Jesus speaks in John 16. When the spirit of truth comes, the spirit will guide you into all truth for the spirit will not speak on his own, but will speak whatever he hears. All that the Father is mine, has is mine. For this reason I said that the Spirit will take what is mine and declare it to you. And so in volume 24 of Luther's works, it says, Christ here refers to a conversation carried on in the Godhead a conversation in which no creatures participate. Christ sets up here a pulpit for both the speaker and for the listener. He makes the Father the preacher and the Holy Spirit the listener. Scripture calls Christ according to his divine nature the word which the Father speaks. All this speaking, being spoken, and listening takes place within God, where no creature is or can be. All three, speaker, word, and listener, are God himself. We humans, we've been telling stories as long as we've had language. We've been telling stories to one another in order to work out what it means to be human. Perhaps the conversation within God, speaker, word, listener, is full of stories working out what it means to be God 
And the result is the universe. Sing a song of praise, sisters and brothers, with your words, your voices, your deeds, because in all your beginnings and all your endings, the grace, love, and fellowship produced by the speaker, the word, and the listener are yours. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon from Holy Trinity Evangelical Lutheran Church in Newington, New Hampshire, part of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. You can find us at htelc.com. And don't forget, you are loved.